Today's reading will come from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 12. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons and from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this, and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord and I am God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Alex. Well, God wants to work a reformation in us. When God works a reformation in his people, he, he brings a passionate clarity about his purpose for us. That can be broadly his purpose for the people of God. It can be specifically to a church. It can be specifically to an individual. God wants to bring about a reformation in our lives. And historically, when God has brought about a reformation, it starts with bringing conviction about sin. When we see revival that's happened in our nation, even recently we've seen revival in our nation historically, it starts with repentance and confession of sin. And then it moves to an awareness of who God is and a hunger for his truth, the truth first about who he is. And when we understand who he is, it moves us to proclaim to others who he is, that we will be his witnesses. But God wants to do a reformation in us. 
And that's what we see here in this passage that God did with his people. God was about doing a reformation in his people. And we have application today as God is about doing a reformation. And so God started with an awareness of sinfulness. So if you turn back to the previous chapter, before chapter 43, I'm just going to read verse 18, the beginning of that section, that last section. It says, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Because he's starting there because our God delivers us from spiritual blindness. Remember, the people of God had hard hearts. They had been living in rebellion to God and his purposes. They were living in disobedience and the fruit of that disobedience found them in a place where they were in exile. They had been removed from their land and now they were in a place of being oppressed and afflicted and feeling hardship and trial. But God doesn't want to just take them out of the trial. God wants to open their eyes to get at the root of why they're in that place. So he opens their eyes. And we can find ourselves in a place where we can feel a struggle, where it seems like I can't break through. Whatever I do, I I can't seem that life is closing in on me. The failures that we experience can seem to come at us like waves. But God does not leave us in that condition. Whether the waves are coming as a fruit of mistakes that we've made or the waves just seem to be coming out of nowhere and we don't know why, God does not leave us in that condition because he wants to bring about a reformation in us. And he starts by bringing a conviction of sin. Look at verse 24 in chapter 42. The second half says, was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey. Reformation begins with conviction of sin. When we see that our sin is primarily against God and not about against other people. Uh, Psalm 51, uh, David said, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We talked about idols last week. And it's good for us to kind of bring that up. We want the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. The Lord sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper, to be a convictor of sin. It's healthy. It's good. It shows God's at work if you're experiencing conviction of sin. But he doesn't want us to stay there in conviction of sin because the Holy Spirit also guides us into all truth. We need to experience the forgiveness of that sin because of what Christ has done, but then be guided into all truth. So we're not going to linger there on that. We could talk about idolatry last week, but it's healthy for us to have a pattern of confession in our life. Because that's not what the people of God had. They didn't have that pattern. They allowed sin to take root and take hold, and then they delighted in it and they worshiped their idols. But a pattern of confession in the life of the believer is not one where you are overtly focusing on sin. No, you're just aware 
of your deficiencies before God, but confession takes us to understand his sufficiencies. I mean, even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven those who have committed sin against us. So it's part of the pattern, and that's where we begin. But now, after opening our eyes to the place of of where we, we see our sin or see our struggle, he points us to himself. He points us to a love of who he is and to the truth about him. He says, but now. At the beginning of verse 43, it says, but now. Okay, I've, I've made you aware. That's clear. Now, be ready. This is, I want, I'm going to show you about myself. But now, says the Lord, he who created you. Our, our God delivers us from spiritual blindness, but then we can see here that our God is purposefully involved in our Lives. He's purposefully, intentionally involved in our lives. First, by creating us. He who created you. That's what it says here in the text. That's not just speaking to, do we believe in creation versus evolution? No, this speaks to the intimacy of our heavenly father. He created us. He wasn't manipulated into creating us. He wasn't coerced into creating us. It was something out of his own volition. He was intentional in creating you. And it says, he who formed you. It speaks of intentionality and work. Like a potter who makes a piece. Uh, You won't find these on store shelves because I made it and you'll find many imperfections with it. But you know, I took art class in high school and somehow this arrived at my house one day. Right? That's, what, that's what parents do when you move out. They bring you your stuff, right? So, so but the intentionality when the, when the potter has it on the wheel, it doesn't start like this. When he formed, the potter takes the clay and throws it on the wheel and he needs it. Why does he need it? He needs it because he gets air bubbles out of it because if you put it in the kiln with the air bubbles in it, it'll blow apart. So there's work in there. And then once he has it, he throws it down in the middle and he starts the wheel turning. And he puts water on it and he starts to form it with his hands. There's intentionality. There's pressure placed at just the right spot. If you put too much, it'll just kind of melt and crumble and you have to start all over. If you put too little, it's too thick. And that's what you'll probably discover about this particular piece. But there's intentionality made. That's not just what God is doing now in your life. That's what God has done. Like it's a past tense word. He has formed you. There was intentionality before this moment, and he's continuing to work in you. So he's created you, but he has also redeemed you. Look back at verse 1. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. There that is again, fear not. We need, we need the word, fear not. We need him as he begins to 
reveal himself to us, we need to hear fear not because we can be insecure as we come to God. Because what, what if he gives me what I deserve? What if he notices that some people are hindered from coming to God, from coming to prayer, from coming to a gathering like this because they're like, I don't want my stuff pointed out. I don't, I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be pushed to the side. So I don't think I should even come. And you could be hindered from prayer, from coming. But he says, fear not. He wants us to know right out of the gate, fear not. Why? For I have redeemed you. For I have redeemed you. We've talked about the Redeemer in the last few weeks and other parts in Isaiah. Because we talked about Boaz and Ruth. That story is a great picture of what redemption looks like, what the Redeemer looks like. Ruth is in a place where she's needy and helpless and has lots of issues and baggage to go with her. And Boaz finds himself as being the one in the place where he can redeem her. He can take on the burdens that she has. So the Redeemer comes and not only says, well, you know, it's not just a generous offering. It's not just, oh, I'm going to help, you know, give him a gift card to something, make things a little bit easier. The Redeemer says, no, I'm going to take on the issues. I'm going to take on the problems as if they are my own. And our Savior took upon himself the sins that we deserved as if they were his own. And that's what we are going to be reflecting on as we gather on Good Friday this week. So the the father quickly says, fear not. No matter what you have done, I want you to be aware of what I have done. So come, come to me. Doesn't that free you? Doesn't that free you? Doesn't that lift the burden? Knowing that whatever you have committed, he has borne on the cross, you can come. Rather than us being like, no, I'm not really sure about that. That truth should set us free. Kind of make us giddy. Like, I can't wait to come to times of prayer because I shouldn't be able to come. I should be hiding in a corner somewhere, but I'm not because I have been redeemed. I need not fear. You need not fear. Because you are now in Christ. You're now in Christ. And in that place we find that he loves us intimately. Look back at the text. Fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Called you by name. Who calls you by name? Your parents do, the parent's name. There's a direct personal relationship signifying a lifelong commitment. Called you by name. Regardless of the quality of the relationship we have with our parents, they're always your parents. So this is, he's called you by name. There's this lifelong commitment and he says, you are mine. Think of that picture. You are mine. You've, maybe you have seen 
uh, dads in the, in the hospital on the baby floor in front of the window where the babies are. I've observed this because I've been one. And this is, this is what dads do. They're standing at the window and their child is there and they're ooing and eyeing. Even, even if they're not a, a mushy-gushy kind of guy, there's something about that moment that, that that's what they're doing in that moment. And it doesn't matter if a family member or a friend or some complete stranger walks up. What do they do? They nudge them. If they don't nudge them, they walk over to them, they grab them over and go, that one is mine. That one right there, that one is mine. That's what our God says about you. You should nudge your neighbor. Nudge him right now. You, you are his. Tell him, say, you are his. You are his. I almost want to make you do it again and again and again because some of you just need to hear that because you don't believe it. It's almost too good to be true. But it's right there in the text. When you leave here and go home, you're going to take this home with you. You can go back to this passage. If you're like, I'm not sure. Was that really in there? I don't know if that was in there. It's in there. Go ahead, pick another translation. It'll be in that one too. He wants you to know that you are his because of what Christ has done. You are his. And the text doesn't stop there. We could be done. Like verse one, that's it. So amazing. It doesn't stop there with our position before God. But it goes on to talk about God's posture towards us as we walk through this life. Not just our position, but his posture towards us because we have to walk through the trials of this life. And we see here that our God protects us. Look back at the text. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, he says. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. I mean, immediately we go to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Leave your finger there in Isaiah, and we'll flip over, flip over to the book of Daniel if you want to. I'm going to read some, some things there. So if you remember the context, Nebuchadnezzar, so this story happens after what happens in Isaiah. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have known about the promise that we just read in Isaiah. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's the head of Babylon. He's made this big statue. He wants everybody to bow down to it. And this is what they say to Nebuchadnezzar. And our God whom we serve is able. He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, they said, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So that just lathers Nebuchadnezzar up and he goes and he, he heats up the furnace seven times hotter than they normally heat it up and the guards bind them up and they, the guards that go take them and throw them in the furnace, the, those guards die. Something crazy happens. Nebuchadnezzar thinks, I have, I have done it. And someone's like, hey, hey, look in there. Look, look in the furnace. 
And he looks in the furnace and there's four people walking out in there and he's just like, wait a minute, I put three people in there, there's four people in there, who's the other person that's in there? They're walking around in the furnace and he yells into them. Because he sees this appearance of a fourth that's like one of the gods and he says, come out of the fire. And then I'm going to read all of verse 27 to you. He says, and the, and the satraps and the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed and their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Not even an aroma. You know, you can sit by the fire outside of your house and you got to go change your clothes because you're, you're coated. At least that's what your mom told you to do before you could get to bed. Go take a shower. They were in the fire, not even smelling like it. So they lived this amazing truth from God because he promises us his presence and his protection. A declaration, hey, there's water, no drowning. Fire, but not burning up. Even if we find ourselves under God's discipline, we can lean into these changeless realities that we are protected and a cherished people. Even if you find yourself in a place of discouragement, you can know you are protected and a cherished people. Now, I know as we talk about a text like this, there are some who are seated here that are saying, um, hey, I've been burned. I want to believe what you're talking about, but I've, I've been burned. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in church. Maybe it's your best friend. You're like, I really want to grab onto that, but I've been burned. Loved ones, The experience that you have had is not the final word about you. It's not the final word about you. Your salvation is. Your savior is. Because the text tells us, if we go back to 43, There's a promise in the midst of all of this that is more significant than everything else, more significant than the water and the fire and walking through it and not being burned. It's this, I will be with you. I will be with you. That's what he says. In Hebrews, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you because he loves you. 
because he loves you. Not because of something that you have done, but because of his disposition toward you. He is going to walk with you. He's going to walk with you through the healing process. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you with his righteous right hand, as we have learned. And we must focus on the reality that our God loves us because he is loving. Look at verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And jump down to verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. God's love is not about what is in us. It's about what is in him. Precious. Just slow down and hear the word precious. It speaks to the value that God has for you. Precious enough that he would send his son. Honored. It says precious and honored speaks to the dignity that God has bestowed upon you. Though others may have shamed you, though others have, may have marginalized you, you have dignity before God because he gives you that dignity. You were created in his image and he's about getting glory. And so you do have dignity and you do have value and you do have worth because you are created in his image. And we must bask in the wonder of that. No, it's not hard for us to believe because we often think about our brokenness. That's what I think about. I think about my imperfections because those just, as soon as I wake up and look in the mirror, kind of wish I didn't have a mirror because then maybe I wouldn't notice my imperfections. Everybody else would. We notice those, but we have value because he loves us. And that love is the foundation for everything. That love is shown shows us that it's, un, it's an unchanging commitment because God's love doesn't ebb and flow. It doesn't ebb and flow like it does for us. It's not dependent on the things that we do. That, this love that God talks about is constant. It's enduring because it comes out of his character, not because of the things that you do. Think about it. Think about where these people were at. They were in a place of discipline because they had rebelled. And even in that place, God says, I love you. He says, I love you. And the ultimate place where we see that love is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate display of his love. So if you ever question, loved ones, if you are loved, you must simply look at the cross Look to what Christ has done. I love that we, we do specific things, a prayer meeting, and we do Good Friday and Easter Sunday celebration every year. I love that that's in the calendar because we need that reminder every single year. It's like a time to hit the reset button. The culture hits the reset button at New Year's. This is when we hit the reset button because we're like, you know, we should, be, we should be celebrating like this every single Sunday. Like, man, I just love this. I get, I get jazzed for Easter Sunday. I'm so excited about it. 
Because that's what worship is going to be like in all of eternity. We're going to be celebrating around the throne of the king. The one who loved us enough to die for our sins. Because while we were yet sinners, while we were wretched and poor and someone who even the world didn't even want. So you are mine. So let's look to the cross, friends. And he, he doesn't just speak to that and bring us, he restores us. Because he's bringing about a reformation. Look back at the text. He, he restores us. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Again, he wants us to know. Because if we hadn't remembered, even though he just told it to us a few verses earlier, he just wants to make us aware. Fear not, for I am with you. I'll bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He doesn't want us to wander. And we can even feel like the life, like he's talking about distances from far off and that. As we live this life, we can feel like we're climbing a mountain. And we're like, okay, if, if I can just get over the crest of this hill. And you're climbing, you're climbing, you get to the crest of the hill. And you're like, there's another hill. Oh, you've, you've been on a hike before like that. You're like, yeah, we're about there. And then there's another one. And oh, wait a minute, faded in the clouds in the distance, there's another one after that. And that's what our spiritual life feels like. That's what feels the discouragement of like, I've got to do this. When will it stop? He says, fear not, for I am with you. And I'm going to great lengths to bring you back from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. That's what I'm going to do. That's what he says he's going to do. He's going to bring his people in this context. He's going to bring his people back to their homeland. And as we find ourselves scattered throughout the world and all the people of God, there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to gather everyone in. He's going to gather everyone in. That's what he's about doing. And for some of you, he has gathered you in. You have your own story. Your own story of being wayward and you were doing your own thing and you can say, yeah, and God saved me. Share that testimony. When you gather with your small group, if you haven't done that in a while, share the testimony of somebody in your group. We need to be reminded of God's pursuit. That's not just about your testimony. That's really your testimony of God's great work in your life in saving you. Share those stories because he's doing a work. He's done a work. He's going to continue to do a work. And let this passage strengthen you. Because we all have loved ones who are wayward. Maybe some who've never confessed Christ. Maybe there's someone close to you that, that has confessed Christ, but their life looks like they are an unbeliever. 
and you've tried everything. You've, you've shared the gospel with them. You've, you've laid it on heavy. You've backed it off and you've been soft. You, you've prayed your face off. But God is the one who goes so far as the east is and can go so far as the west is. As it says in Psalm 139, right? He goes as far as the east is from the west, right? Like God goes. You can't run from him. Those loved ones, they can't run from him. And we can pray and we can seek his face and we can trust that he can bring our wayward loved ones home. Maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you are in the place where God has been pursuing you and you need to just stop your running and come and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus today because you see his heart for you. You can trust in Christ. Now, friends, all this is true about God towards us. He brings you into his family when you've trusted in him. Not just to sit and be like, oh, that's wonderful. No, he works a reformation in us so that we can be his witnesses. We have received what we did not deserve. What's most important about us is not is not what we deserve, but who we are. And we have been created to be on a mission, to be his witnesses, it says. But before we go and be his witnesses, we just need to be reminded, look at the text of all of the commitments God has made. Look back at your Bibles. Created you, formed you, redeemed you, called you by name. You are his. And he says, I will be with you. All that undergirds the reality that he has calling us to make his glory known to all peoples. Because God desires to use us as his witnesses. Because our God's going to assemble all nations. Look back at the text. It says, verse 8 and 9, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. God's going to gather the nations together. I know he's going to gather the nations together. If we flip to the book of Revelation, I'm just going to flip there really quick. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. I read part of this in a previous uh, message in Isaiah, he said, it says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll. This is about Jesus and to open it sealed for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Every tribe and language and people and nation. That, that is a prophecy of the things that are to come. How are the people going to come from every tribe and people and language and nation? You and me. We are called to be his witnesses. 
Look at verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. He has chosen you. Why? Because you are living proof that he is an all-sufficient Savior. Your life testifies that there is a king who sits on a throne. The transformation that has existed in your life proclaims to the world that there is a God and he is a redeemer. And there is an amazing gospel that we have to share. And there is no other. Verse 11 says, I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no savior. He has no rival. He has no rival whatsoever. All the other religions, whether they identify themselves or not, they tell us lots of things, lots of rules to follow, plenty of things to say. But they do not glorify God on God's terms. There are not many ways to God. There is one way. And his name is Jesus. He's not the best way. He is the only way. And the idols of this world are life-depleting, joy-killing disappointments. Every idol, if you don't toe the lines, demands a pound of flesh. That's what one commentator said. You have to toe the line. If your idol's your career and you don't make the sacrifices necessary, it's gone. If your idol is your physical appearance and you don't make the sacrifices necessary, your self-image is devastated. And I could go on. But here's the amazing situation we find ourselves in. We went our own way. We didn't make the sacrifices to follow him. But he saved us. Completely the opposite of what idols require. There's actually nothing we could do that we couldn't do enough. But Jesus did do enough. He lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross to exchange with us. He gave us what he deserved and he took from us what we deserved. And he saved us. And he said this in verse 12, I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Our God is the only true goodness anyone can experience. That's why we're going to gather tonight to pray, because he's so good. Yes, we're going to ask him for things, but he's worthy to be sought, even if he doesn't answer any of our prayers. We're going to seek his face because we want him to open blind eyes to see his glory we want him to open our eyes afresh to see his glory. We want him to open the eyes of those 
around us to see his glory. Because he's worked about a reformation in us so that our lives would testify to his goodness, to his greatness, and to his mercy. To testify to the fact that we have been blessed when we deserve the exact opposite. So God wants to do a reformation in us. He wants to do a reformation in us so that we would get passionate clarity about his purpose for us. And he displays his purpose for us. May we pray together and may we go out this building to accomplish his mission together to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father, I know you are, you're working. Lord, we have covered a lot of ground and there's a reality whenever we think about going forth on the mission, fear comes. I know I feel it. We feel it. So we come before you right now. We're gonna come before you together as a church later tonight and we come before you right now and ask God that you would sink these words deep into our soul, that we would fear not and know that you are with us, that we would know these amazing truths that you've created us, formed us, called us by name. We're yours. Lord, would you overwhelm us with that truth? Would, would you bring joy? Would we have great celebration because of that truth? And Lord, make it so that we can't keep it in and that we would tell others about the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, do that work in us. Oh, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, why don't we stand?